We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Psalm 1. We are going to be a bit old school this morning. We have some technical difficulties with the PowerPoint slides. So it's just me and the Bible and your Bible this morning. But uh, we will muddle through like people have for centuries without PowerPoint. So uh, Psalm chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, Let me ask you a question as we get rolling. How many of you, when you are alone, either in your car or in front of the bathroom mirror, you're alone, you've got music on, how many of you sing? Okay, about 40% of you are honest people, the rest of you, liars, right? Everybody sings, at least almost everybody sings when we're alone. Uh, I remember when I was in high school driving through the streets of Dallas in my 1984 tan Nissan Stanza, a car so fantastic they don't make it anymore. And uh, I was driving through town and I had the radio on and I was singing, I don't know what the song was, but singing at the top of my lungs, just rocking down the road. And I pulled up at a stoplight and of course back then we didn't have iPhones to entertain us at stoplights, so I just kept singing. And uh, I happened to to feel, after a couple of minutes, sort of somebody looking at me. And uh, I was rocking along, and I looked over, and there's this young couple in the car next to me, and they are laughing at me so hard. Tears streaming down their face. Their faces are red with laughter at my singing in the car. And I was was at that age where it deeply embarrassed me. And uh, I looked over at them, and I kind of made a face, ha-ha, I thought, jerks, right? They're probably in prison today or in Congress or something like that, right? They, they are just terrible people. But uh, as I thought about it, in hindsight, I thought, you know, on any other given day, the roles could have been reversed, right? Because most of us, at some point in our lives, when we're alone, we've grabbed that hairbrush and we have sung in front of the bathroom mirror or driving down the road. Music has a way of getting into our, not only our minds, not only changing what we think, It changes how we feel. And as it changes how we feel, it changes what we do. It affects every part of us, our minds, our emotions, our bodies. Music has always been that way. God made it for that purpose. Music is a method of communication that affects every aspect of our being. So that as we sing about God... It doesn't just impact our brains, it makes us feel. That's why we sing every week before and or after the sermon. It's not only because we have some extra time to kill. We sing because as we sing the truth about who God is, it drives that truth not just into our brains, but into our hearts. And then our prayer is, as we leave here, the songs that we sing permeate our lives so that we respond in ways that are faithful and trusting of God. So that when we sing things like, even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. That impacts our hearts. My guess is that on any given week, you may go out of this room remembering one or two things that I have said, but the reality is that from week to week and year to year, what gets stuck in your brain as you drive down the road? It's the songs we sing. 
It's those hymns you sang as a child that your parents may have sung to you in the cradle because music is designed by God for that purpose. It's always been that way. Now, when we go back to ancient Israel, of course, we recognize they didn't have radios. They didn't have iTunes. So they couldn't listen to their music necessarily throughout the course of the week. But it would be in their minds from when they met in gathered worship in the synagogue, to read from the Word of God and to sing. As we look at the Psalms this summer, what we're looking at essentially is the songbook of the nation of Israel. What they would do is they would gather and they would sing some of these psalms. And on special occasions, like when they crowned a new king, they would sing certain ones of these songs. They sang them in worship. And then they would read them week after week and year after year, and the tune and the song would get into their minds and their hearts. So what we have in the book of Psalms is the songbook of Israel. And what's great about the Psalms is it addresses how do I follow God? How do I trust God? How do I believe in who God is in every conceivable circumstance? All right, so the Psalms do not only deal with the happy times in our lives. The Psalms also deal with Sad times. Psalms also deal with times of anger, times of doubt, times of depression, as well as moments of joy and praise. So it's this songbook of 150 psalms that the nation of Israel would then take, and they used them in every conceivable situation. Let me just uh, share with you for a minute some of the types of psalms that we see as you walk through the book of Psalms. There are praise psalms. Like Psalm 104, it extols God's power and character in creation, right? There are thanksgiving psalms. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, right? He inclined, he heard my cry, and he delivered me out of the pit. And so Psalm 40 says, thank you, God, for when I was low, how you lifted me up. That's a thanksgiving song. Lament psalms. Jesus quotes one of the lament psalms most famously on the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament Psalms deal with those moments when we feel abandoned by God, abandoned by others, and lost. There are trust Psalms, the most famous of which is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I trust in God, the psalmist says, David says, to provide all that I need. There are kingship or messianic psalm psalm chapter 2 and psalm 110 deal with not only the king of israel now but the coming messiah they offer a hope for a coming king there are wisdom psalms like psalm 32 there are torah psalms torah psalms are ones that extol the virtue of the law and then there are imprecatory psalms these are the ones we don't read a whole lot of uh, but the imprecatory psalms are ones that say god judge our enemies. God, we want vengeance from you on those who hate Israel. Those are the imprecatory psalms. All right, so you see the beauty of the psalms is that there are psalms for every conceivable occasion. We're going to start our series on psalms with the very first one, Psalm 1. Now, we're not going to go through all 150, obviously, this summer. That would take us three years. We have three months. Right, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at a sampling of psalms, and we're going to begin with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is one of these Torah psalms, and it's placed right at the beginning of the book of Psalms as sort of an introduction to the entire book. 
And the idea of Psalm chapter 1 is going to be this. If you want a life that is blessed by God, if you want a life that benefits from God's protection, if you want a life in harmony with God and with other people, listen to the words of the law. Listen to the words of God's word. Soak yourself deeply in what God says. If you want a life that benefits from God's protection and blessing, follow the way of God. Psalm 1 will contrast two different ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And the idea is this, that the way of the righteous leads to blessing, while the way of the wicked leads to death and meaninglessness. Now, it's important to keep in mind, these are general principles. In other words, Psalm chapter 1, we don't look at it as a promise to say, if I obey God, everything in my life will always go well. Instead, what Psalm 1 tells us is this, that God has arranged the world, He's arranged the universe in such a way that if I follow Him, if I obey Him, in general, my life will go more smoothly. In general, if I obey what God says, for example, about sexual fidelity in marriage, my path will be smoother as I interact with my spouse and my kids and the community around. In general, if I obey God's words about integrity with my money and in the workplace, my life will move more smoothly. Not always. And so Psalm 1 is also going to point us to the future and say, even if, even if right now the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, there is coming a day of judgment where those who follow God will be vindicated. All right, that's Psalm 1, contrasting these two ways. And of course, the question for us as we look at Psalm 1 is which way will we choose? Which way will we choose? Right at the beginning of the book of Psalms, the psalmist says this, you have two paths to choose. The path of righteousness is going to be detailed in the book of Psalms. The path of death is what you're going to hear from the world. Which are you going to choose? I want uh, each of us to think about that for just a minute this morning before we dive into Psalm 1. Because my guess is that at times you have uh, had thoughts like this. You've thought, you know, that, uh, the, all those ideas about integrity and honesty. Those things work on Sunday morning, right? But the pastor doesn't understand what my workplace is like. If I don't make some compromises to my integrity on Monday through Friday, I will never get ahead. There's not going to be blessing in my world for following the way of God. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've thought, you know, all that stuff about sexual purity in the Scripture That's all well and good, but the psalmist never met my spouse. And so what happens is we begin to seek counsel from the world. Because we don't trust God's way. And what Psalm 1 will tell us is if we're not careful, those ideas of sin begin to root themselves in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies leading us down the path of destruction. So Psalm 1 says, which way will we choose? Will you and I choose to be people of the Word? Will we choose to be people who say, I'm going to trust God's way even when it doesn't seem to make sense? I'm going to trust God's way even when in the short term 
I suffer. That's Psalm chapter 1. Look with me at Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The first thing Psalm 1 tells us is this. The way of the wicked is opposed to God's law. Notice there's a progression here. There's a three-part progression. How blessed is the man who, one, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Two, nor stand in the path of sinners. Three, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Here's what he's saying. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I want to have a life that is opposed to God. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I want to seek after God's judgment and opposition. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to choose the way of destruction. Instead, it happens through a gradual, day-by-day, moment-by-moment process. And it says, here's where it starts. You walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is, you begin to listen to those who are saying, God's way cannot be trusted. You begin to take in input from those who say, you cannot believe God's promises. You need to go your own way because it's going to be better for you. I learned a painful lesson as a child about listening to the counsel of the wicked. You may have heard this story. If you have, forgive me. But uh, when I was about eight years old, my older brother Dan and I were out on our driveway and we were with one of his friends. His friend's name was Stephen. I was the youngest. These two guys were older. We grabbed a magnifying glass and a leaf and we said, let's see if we can start a fire. On this leaf, now we had tried this before, but never succeeded. That particular day, the sun was just hot enough. The driveway and the angle of the magnifying glass were just correct that all of a sudden, that leaf caught on fire. Now, what we should have done at that moment was say, that's a really cool experiment. Let's go play something else. Right, but what what happened was Stephen looked at this. Our friend Stephen looked at this and he said, this is amazing. We got to make it bigger. And Dan said, yeah, we got to make it bigger. And they said, Matt, you need to go to the backyard and gather kindling for the fire. Now, I had internal reservations. I don't remember if I expressed them or not. But at some point I said, okay. So I went to the backyard and I started gathering twigs and sticks and leaves. And we piled them on that fire and it got a little bigger. And they said, we need more. So I ran back and we got more and more and more. And within a matter of 15 or 20 minutes, we had a fire that was five or six feet high burning on our suburban driveway. (laughs) It was about this point that my dad saw the smoke wafting past his home office. He actually had a broken leg at the time. I've never seen a man on crutches move as quickly as my dad did. When he came outside and he said, what are you doing? Put it out. We grabbed the hose. We put it out. Dad sent Stephen home. That was one of the last times we were allowed to play with Stephen, actually. <laughs> this, was, this was not the first nor last time he had gotten us in trouble. We went inside and Dad began to interview us about what happened. And he decided that the best punishment for us was not a spanking. It was not a grounding. It was essays. We had to write essays And Dan had to write 500 words about the dangers of fire, right? So Dan composed his, you know, fire is very, 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 very dangerous. You know, it it went like that. But here's what happened to me. Mine was, uh, I had to write 250 words on why not to play with fire, 
But see, my defense was this. They made me do it. They told me to go do it. I didn't think this was a good idea, but Dan and Stephen, the brother that you gave me, he told me (laughs) to do it. And dad said, okay, you write 250 words on why not to play with fire and 250 words on why not to pay attention to people who are telling you to do things you know you shouldn't do. Because dad knew the counsel of evil leads to evil. He says, okay, it started with listening. But what happened? You absorbed into your heart and mind that this is a good idea. And before you knew it, you had an inferno blazing out of control. How many of us have seen men and women? Instead of looking for counsel about their marriage from the Scripture, they go to Google or they go to that friend who says, you know what, God's way isn't best. You'll never be happy in the way of God. And they light a match. Day after day after day, they start a progress that burns their life to the ground. The psalmist says that's the way of the wicked. You walk in the counsel of the wicked, and then he says what happens is you stop and you stand in the path of sinners. And then what happens? You actually say, this is where I belong. You sit down in the seat of scoffers and you become a part of that club. Notice he says, how blessed is the man who doesn't do that. Blessedness means happy, favored by God. How blessed is the man who does not listen to the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Why? Verse 2, he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Here's what he says, The way of the wicked is opposed to God's way, but the way of the righteous is the way that follows God's law says the one who's blessed is the one who looks at God's law and it says he meditates on it day and night. It has the idea of, of that word meditating as the idea of kind of murmuring or muttering. He reads God's word and throughout the day he speaks it to his own heart and mind. Day and night. When he wakes up in the morning, when he goes to bed at night, When he gets up in the middle of the night and struggles with fear, what's going to happen to me if I follow God's way and it doesn't work out? He mutters to himself the word of God because he's absorbed in the word of God. He takes it in. In the ancient world, they did not most likely read silently, but they would read aloud. As they opened the scroll in the synagogue, they would read it aloud. Nobody did what we do really today and read silently. So they would see it with their eyes and then they would speak it with their mouth. And so often, most likely, the people, especially with certain of these psalms, they would repeat them to one another. And then as they went throughout the week, they would repeat them to one another, which is why in Deuteronomy 6, 
God tells Moses to tell the people, look, you take this word and you, you put it on your forehead. You put it on your hands and you say it to one another and to your kids as you walk along and as you work and as you move throughout your life. You meditate on the word of God. You soak it in. Anybody who has ever studied a foreign language, you know that the best way to learn that language is through immersion. Right? You can read a book, you can get some basic vocabulary, but ultimately the best way is you go into a place where they only speak that language and you absorb all of the words. I remember when I was in high school in preparation for a trip to Central America, I was in a Spanish class where we were immersed in the language. But I decided I wanted to know it better. So you know what I did is I would sit in front of the TV and I would watch Spanish television just so that I could absorb the words. And what happened was I began to dream in Spanish and think in Spanish. And I would see objects and I could think of the Spanish name. Now here's the the deal. If you ask me today to speak to you in Spanish, I can't do it, at least not very much. Because I no longer immerse myself in it. I no longer think about it. That's what Psalm 1 is saying. The degree to which we will be changed into the image of God's character, the degree to which we will follow God's path, is deeply and closely connected to how deeply we meditate on God's Word. So that the person who meditates on the Word of God will be a person who gives off an aroma of the Spirit of God because they've absorbed it and then they give it back. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that who seems to breathe out the Scripture. It seems to be written deeply in their heart and their mind. Another way to look at it is imagine for a moment that uh, we all were to leave here after the service and we go together to go get barbecue. And maybe we go to C&J or something down the road. We all go eat and then we go home and say that your spouse wasn't here and you go home and you walk in the door. What are they going to say? You ate barbecue without me. How do they know? You give off an aroma. You have been marinating an hour in that smoky fragrance. And you're not even aware of it until you leave the restaurant. You may not even be aware of it until somebody else reflects it back to you. The psalmist says, so is the person who meditates day and night on the Word of God. They open it up in the morning, they open it up at night, and they remember what God said so that as they move through their day, they give off an aroma of the character of God because it's written on their hearts, because we've been marinating on God's word. And he says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked, but meditates day and night in the law of the Lord. Verse 3 says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season." And in whatever he and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. All right. The, the, the beautiful thing about this image is he says, look, if you meditate on the word of God, 
says it's like a tree planted by streams of water. And what happens? Well, when it's supposed to give off, when it's supposed to grow leaves, it grows leaves. When it's supposed to grow fruit, it grows fruit. Whatever it does, it's the right thing, right? Now, what's interesting about this is uh, growing and leafing and bearing fruit for a tree. It's not, a, it's not an award, right? It's not like somebody looks at that tree and says, well done, you decided to plant yourself by the water. I'm gonna give you some fruit, right? That's not what happens. It's not a reward. It's a result. The tree is designed to soak in water. Trees do best when they're next to water. The psalmist is making this point. The blessing of a life of righteousness. It's not a reward. It's a result. The general pattern of the way that God designed our world is that those who plant themselves in God's word will be blessed. Again, this is a general principle. Think about it this way. If you and I were to decide that we were going to eat nothing but Kraft macaroni and cheese for every meal and wash it down with a two-liter soda, Right, I choose that because that was basically my diet in college. What's going to happen? Well, not good things. Your body wasn't designed for that. Right, so so I, would, I would gain weight. I would begin to feel tired. I might be sick. My body will not respond as it's supposed to respond because I am not made to subsist on macaroni and cheese and soda. Right On the other hand, if you exercise regularly, you eat enough vegetables, you eat lean meats, you eat things that are good for you, your body will begin to work like it's supposed to work because your body is made for certain inputs and not other inputs. And the psalmist says that's how your spirit is, that's how your soul is. You are not designed to function spiritually on tidbits that you hear from Twitter and Facebook. You are not designed to grow spiritually from the counsel of those who are not following God's way. If you day and night absorb the imagery and the mindset of a world opposed to God, your life will reflect that sickness. But he says the one who marinates in the word of God will reflect the health and the blessing that comes from pursuing God. Right, again, general principles. The psalmist elsewhere will deal with the reality that sometimes in a broken world, you may do everything right and still suffer. In fact, all of us will face that at some point. We say, you know what, I've done everything right. I followed God's way and I still suffer. Right, and what's going to happen is the psalmists will point us to the future in that case. We'll see that in a moment to say the day is coming where the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be judged. In the meanwhile, make no mistake that there is blessing in general. Your life will run more smoothly if you follow God's principles, if you obey God's word and what he says about your time and your money and your thoughts and your family. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. It results in a life of harmony with God, harmony with other people, 
an impact in a broken world. Who says, how blessed is the one who doesn't run down the path of the wicked, but runs down the path of the righteous. Because the way of the righteous results in blessing. The way of the wicked results in meaninglessness. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. Chaff, if you don't know, was kind of the husk of the wheat or the corn that they would harvest in an agrarian society. So you would separate that husk from the part of the wheat that you wanted it to save and make into flour or whatever it was. The chaff was very light, right? So in order to separate the chaff from the wheat, often they would stand up on a hill and they would toss everything up in the air. And the chaff would blow away in the wind and the wheat would fall back down to the ground. The chaff would be gone. What was useful would stay. The psalmist says the wicked are like chaff. They blow away. It's that time of year when you're likely to see dandelions in your yard, right? And, and when you're a kid, dandelions are fun, aren't they? When you're trying to take care of a yard, of course, they proliferate quickly. And so you may see one of your children whoo, blow those little pods all over your yard, and you know what's going to happen. Dandelions everywhere. But what else is going to happen? They're going to die quickly and blow away. They spring up fast, and they die just as quickly. Their lives are short, noticeable. Ultimately, they blow away. And the psalmist says, do you want to be like a dandelion or an oak planted by a stream of water, rooted in the Word of God, That's the imagery that he's getting at. The way of the wicked, the way of the one who opposes the way of God, it feels right in the moment, but it doesn't last. All too often we listen to those voices in our minds and our hearts that say, but if I just go this way, I'll be happier. Those voices that say, look, Following the way of God has never brought me anything good, so I will follow my own way and it will be better. And what the psalmist says is you are pursuing a path that will spring up quickly and blow away like the wind. Proverbs chapter 11 says when the righteous prospers, the city rejoices. And the city rejoices when the wicked perish. Because the way that is opposed to God is a way that wreaks havoc and pain into our lives and the lives of other people. Sometime last fall, I ran across a news article. I think it was in the Houston Chronicle. This was an obituary that somebody wrote for their father. I want to read this. And it's, it's one of the most painful things that I have read, thinking about the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. This was published in the paper. It says, Leslie Ray Popeye, Charping, 
was born in Galveston on November 20th, 1942, passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. And then it closes. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. Ouch. I read that, and of course, your first thought is, how terrible of somebody to write that. And then my second thought was, how tragic of somebody to live that. The way of the wicked feels right in the moment, but it leads to despair and pain and death. All right, now I read that, and most of us in this room, at least hopefully, we think, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. But how many of us in our darker, uncertain moments begin to listen to those voices that say, my way is better than God's way. My opinions and thoughts are smarter than His. How many of us begin to listen to the voice of the world saying that in sin there is happiness and joy and freedom and peace. And what the psalmist says is, no, the way of sin is the way of death. Now, what the psalmist didn't yet know was all that Jesus was going to do to resolve the problems of wickedness and sin. What the psalmist didn't yet fully grasp was that every single one of us is steeped in sin to the point that we deserve separation from God. Every single one of us, because of our minds, because of our hearts, because of our rebellion against God, we are headed down the path of destruction. And so God gave Jesus to stand between us and the punishment we deserve. Jesus died for our sin and he rose again to give life even to those who have run away from God's path. All who will believe in Jesus can have eternal life. And the psalmist didn't know that yet. But he did recognize that the way of God's path is always best. And even for those who know Jesus, there are consequences now and in eternity for pursuing the way that is opposed to God. And there is a blessing for those who will day after day say, I want to soak myself in the Word of God and arrange my life around the principles of His Word. As we've seen from Psalms in general, there is blessing in this life. 
And then on the day we meet Jesus, we have the opportunity to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When we have trusted him despite all the voices from the world around us that say God's way is not best. So the question we have to ask ourselves day after day is, will I trust that it is? Will I trust God's way? How blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Because the way of the wicked ultimately, it says, leads to judgment. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The psalmist says, look, ultimately the way of the wicked will perish. Nobody gets away with it forever. Nobody gets away with it forever. It's probably 10 years ago, I ran across another powerful story. A man named Gerald Mason. Some of you may remember this story. Most of you will not. Uh, Gerald Mason... Back in 1957, when he was a teenager, he robbed a group of other teenagers in their car, assaulted them, stole their car, drove away. And as he was driving away, he was stopped by two police officers. And in his panic and his rage, he shot and killed both police officers. Drove away. And they never found him at the time. He went on with his life, moved away to North Carolina. This happened in California, I think. Moved all the way across the country. Got married, got a job, never even got a speeding ticket for 46 years until they matched a fingerprint on that old steering wheel to an arrest record he had had previously. 46 years later, they show up at Gerald Mason's door. He says, what are you here for? And they they said, we're here for an incident that happened in 1957. And his jaw dropped and he said, you're here for that. And I remember seeing that story and thinking, what a powerful illustration of how sin will catch up to all of us. Now, that's human justice. The reality is that there are men and women walking around in our world today who have not been caught, who will never be caught, who will go to their graves not being caught, right? But the psalmist says, the wicked will not stand on the day of judgment. God knows. And so all who want life, all who want forgiveness, there's really only one pathway, and that is to come to Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness and claim the forgiveness of the cross and then say, I will choose to trust him because his way is best. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so let me ask, which way will we choose? It may be that you don't yet know Jesus Christ. And the real message for you this morning is there's only one way to escape the eternal consequences of the sin we've all committed, the sin that I've committed, you've committed, everybody in this room, even your most righteous friend, 
has run afoul of the law of God and deserves eternal punishment. And the only way to escape it is by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection for eternal life. If you don't know Jesus, this morning is your opportunity for the Spirit of God to say, trust in me. If you have questions about knowing Jesus, you can come talk to me, come talk to a friend this morning who can share more about eternal life. If you do know Jesus, the clear message of Psalm 1 is that every day, every moment, we have an opportunity to either listen to the way of the wicked or listen to the way of God. And so let me ask this, uh, what are you marinating in? Where does your mind and heart spend most of its time during the week? Are you a person rooted in the Word of God? Do you meditate on it in the morning and at night? As I looked at Psalm 1 this week, I couldn't help be convicted because at times I know that my heart and my mind are marinating in places other than the Word of God. Will we be men and women who say day and night, I want to meditate on the law of God to open it up to read it, to ask him to help me understand it, to take it into my heart so that it will transform my life through the power of the Spirit of God. Which way will we choose today, tomorrow, this week, and this year? I'd encourage you over the course of the summer, it's a great time to sort of get back on track. If you began January and you said, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you hit Leviticus in February and you tossed it in a drawer, right? pick it back up. Start with the New Testament this time. Start somewhere you know you can finish the book and then move on from there. Right? Join a Bible study or a home group, especially as we move into the fall, where you'll receive accountability to get into the Word, to arrange your life around the Word of God. How blessed is the man who meditates on his law day and night. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. We confess that we are not the people of your word that we want to be. We confess that we listen all too often to the counsel of the wicked. And as a result, the fruit of our lives doesn't resemble a tree planted by streams of water, but it resembles chaos and confusion and fear and a lack of harmony with you. I pray, convict our hearts through your Spirit that life is found in you. Teach us to walk with you faithfully. Lord, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.